editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 3 o'clock on a Monday afternoon. It is 3 o'clock on a championship Monday afternoon. Welcome to this episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Championship Monday, what's up? So, Championship Monday, woke up feeling, well, quite frankly, like a champion. Man, to be honest with you, I've been trying my best since we, since we walked into the studio not to talk to you, mainly because I wanted to get the, the realness. I'm taking my keys on my pocket, if you guys can't hear. But uh, I, I wanted to get the raw reaction. I wanted to get the 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 real emotion um you've never celebrated a, a, a championship uh have you ever you've celebrated a championship before though correct not to this degree no a pittsburgh championship that's the only one right yeah that'd probably be the closest one you got one pittsburgh championship okay so i don't even know how big of a fan you were at that time so when i think about celebrating a championship I, re- I think about, of course, being from L.A., right? But I'm not a Laker fan. I'm not a Dodger fan. But when the Lakers won in 2020, pardon, along with the Dodgers, I felt it a certain way because the city needed it in that moment. 2011, I celebrated a championship. I'm talking when my Green Bay Packers won, you couldn't tell me anything. I would like to open a show with this. Did you drink some champagne this morning? This morning, no. You're not doing it right, man. Last night, mm, I, I declined to cap, to comment on what happened last night. It was a fun time. That's <laughs> all I can say. First of all, uh, congratulations if you guys do, not, do are not aware right now, but congratulations to the Las Vegas Aces. That's actually going to be the first uh, story that we're uh, going to start with, obviously, right on this championship Monday. Uh, they ended up ousting Connecticut last night, or yesterday, rather, 78-71 to 71 in Game 4 of the WNBA Finals. Uh, this is, again, uh, again, all series long. I'm, I, I can't use the word lucky, right? Uh, I won't use the word lucky. This Las Vegas Aces team played a Connecticut team that got them to play their style of basketball every single game. Yeah, I mean, they got them to, I would say, outside of the first game. The first game, I would almost say Connecticut kind of got Vegas to play the way Connecticut was hoping to, um, but games two, three, and four. Oh no, that's what I mean. I mean the whole series. They got Connecticut got Las Vegas to play Connecticut style. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, um, and even la- if they came off right. Yeah, and last, um, I mean last game, you know, game four, people were like, "Oh, it's pretty low scoring," and I mean it kind of was, but you also have to look at kind of where each team was at in the series. Um, you know, both teams played a full thirty-six game regular season. Uh, Connecticut went to, I believe, three games with Dallas. They went to a, believe, a full five games against Chicago. Indeed. And now they were on game four against Vegas. And granted, Vegas had a few less games, but still, I mean, you know, at at a certain point, fatigue definitely sets in. And I think that's what was happening on both sides of the ball uh, for game four yesterday. And, you know... (laughs) 
Becky has a weird way of saying stuff and people not really acknowledging it in the moment, but then it all kind of circles itself back later on and you go, ah, that's why you said that. Tends to tends to, tends uh, to happen with this team. You know, uh, you know, we had different points in the season where, um, you know, there was questions about, oh, well, you know, the offense seems to kind of, you know, be lacking a little bit. Um, you know, are you concerned about the offense? And every time she was asked, you know, it wasn't much concern with the offense. She was uh, more solely concerned with the the defensive side of the ball. And down the stretch yesterday, um, defense is what kind of propelled the offense or at least the, the bit of offense that Vegas had left in them, um, you know, but get, by getting stops, by rebounding the ball, by, um, you know, just making stuff and making life really as a whole uh, tough on Connecticut to try and ma- manufacture any offense. And so, I mean, you look at that and you look at, you know, then you look at the offensive side of the ball and, um, you know, championship series always have a weird way of doing this where mm-hmm. – the quote unquote unsung heroes tend to shine the brightest actually. And I mean, I've been telling y'all all season, y'all better keep your eye on Raquana Williams because she's going to be a problem. And Connecticut would probably tell you the same thing after game four, that she was absolutely a problem down the stretch. Eight straight points down the stretch, including two big threes. As a matter of fact, she hit one three with 201 left. That gave the Aces a one point lead. Connecticut regained the lead 71 to 70. Raquana came down, knocked down another three, and that actually gave Las Vegas its final lead of the game. Not to mention the game was also iced by a a six-foot pull-up jumper by Kelsey Plum. Uh, Again, this this game, pardon, this game, as you mentioned before, it embodies everything that Becky Hammond has been trying to, to, to preach to this team all season long about challenging them to become a team, right? And playing the right way and everything else will take care of itself. Before I get to that, you talked about the defensive side of the ball in that third quarter where I thought probably some of the biggest plays of the game was made. I understand what happened in the fourth quarter, but I look at your stars, right? Your star players and your stars getting after it on both sides of the ball. I think what what was an early story with this team was Asia Wilson being a defensive anchor for this group, right? And that would be that that was really the the driving narrative early in the season along with the bench production. Now, you fast forward to the to the biggest game of the season and you get Asia Wilson rotating on defense and getting a block on Courtney Williams with four minutes and 57 seconds to go in that third quarter. That shot would have actually gave Connecticut the lead. So in addition to that, Chelsea Gray, who scored 11 of her uh, 20 points in that third quarter, 13 of which came in the second half, she had a big drawn charge on Brianna Jones in that same third quarter on a basket that also, if, if it didn't, if it wouldn't have tied the game, it also would have given Connecticut the lead. That's another thing that we talk about all that we talked about all season long is this team's buy-in factor. When you're getting your stars to buy in and not only buy in but give themselves up on the defensive end, it makes for a much better recipe. Yeah, it definitely does. And you know, um, I think it was right before Game Three tipped off, or maybe it was right in the fir- first few minutes of it where um i forget who said it but maybe it was duna it may have been duna that yeah. had uh, hit the group chat and said whoa how's chelsea not first team and i said it's the same disrespect that was shown to her when she wasn't selected for the all-star 
if y'all want to know why Chelsea Gray won finals MVP, you want to know why she won Commissioner Cup MVP, you got to go back and watch. Like, I mean, without sounding too much like a homer, it's kind of that. Like, Chelsea Gray felt, at least I felt, very disrespected. Like, cool. Like, I'm not first team. I'm not all-star. Y'all could basically have that because I got the ring now. So, and she picked up her second one in the process. Chelsea, uh, you talked about it already. Chelsea is one of those that she will let you know that she didn't forget something. She will let you know that it did kind of get under her skin. Uh, the All Star uh, snub, she admitted kind of early on, it kind of got under her skin. Um, and then she said her teammates kind of, kind of, kind of quickly got her out of that. Uh, but I think what's so interesting is I really don't think the all WNBA team snubbed her. Like, I don't think that's that, that snub bothered her as much. I think she was in the, at that point of the season, she's already in a groove. And I think at the, let's be honest at the halfway point of the season, all-star break, the aces were struggling. The aces didn't know what were really, was really going on at that time. When, when, when Chelsea was snubbed from an all uh, WNBA first team, she was in the middle of some of her best basketball, if not the best, the best basketball of the season. So I don't think that bothered her as much. But as you just kind of said, uh, she did go in and add something to that mantle. She added finals MVP. Now, we understand that the Commissioner Cup game is almost like the playing game. So they, they don't count, quote unquote. So... I do think it's cool, and I talked about it earlier in the season, and now I got to go find the clip, but I talked about it earlier in the year. This team now has a regular season MVP, an all-star game MVP, and let's just say that the Commissioner Cup doesn't count, right? It's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's an additional game. It's an exhibition game. How does finals MVP sound in all three of those MVP awards belong to different players? I think it – more so shows the the true team aspect that Becky was um, kind of honing in on, right? I mean, it's easy enough for, you know, Asia Wilson to come up and sweep all the awards and, uh, well, I mean, that's just Asia, right? Or, you know, KP to go off shooting the ball and well, that's just kind of KP, you know, or, you know, Chelsea Gray taking over the game like she did. Well, that's just kind of Chelsea. So, I mean... It was easy enough for this team if they really if they had chose to play this way, which um, I think admittedly, like, um, you know, I, I think in years past, admittedly, like a lot of the players will say, yeah, no, we kind of got caught playing that way a lot where it was very one on one individualized. Um, you know, they at certain points throughout the year, although they weren't very long, um, I think even to a certain degree, the team kind of caught themselves playing that way again. And. Um, the difference, it, re, the real big difference is, is um, you know, Becky was very brunt, or I guess blunt, I should say, and brutally honest, that, you know, we're not going to play that way. I don't care if you're Asia Wilson. I don't care who, who you are, where you came from, what your accolades are. We're playing as one. We're not playing, you know, five individuals. We're playing as one cohesive unit, and that's really what kind of propelled this team forward. And so... um you know, while we have certain moments of the season, like I said in this postseason, really since the Commissioner Cup game, Chelsea Gray's been the motor for this team moving forward, and a lot of people have been able to see that. Um, you know, she's gotten, you know, other people involved too. There's a reason that 
in the playoffs, I believe she averaged over six assists a game. You know, she's she's actively looking to get people involved, whether that's a a Kelsey Plum one game, whether that's a you know a, whether Asia's feeling it one night, maybe it's Jackie that's got it going right. And so that's what I think makes this team so what made them so difficult to guard and what's probably going to continue to make them difficult to um, defend against and, and play against moving forward in the future years now that a lot of these players and, of course, Becky being locked down long-term, um, any one of those players in the starting five have the ability to take over a basketball game both offensively and defensively. Like I think that's what a lot of people sometimes forget, especially with the players like Jackie Young and Kelsey Plum, they're very, in my opinion, very underrated defenders for being at the guard spot where sometimes your best player might be matched up with Jackie Young because Jackie's, you know, kind of one of those defenders that, um, although it doesn't probably get talked about a lot, I think around the league, a lot of players, you know, understand Jackie's defensive game. I think to a certain degree, um, you know, I, I know Plum catches a lot of flack for it, but her defensive game at certain points when they've needed it the most has really shown up and shown out. Even when, she, you know, her offensive game, maybe it's um, falling behind a little bit. And obviously you got Asia, the defensive player of the year. Kia's come up with some big rebounds and big stops, especially late. So um, that's what I think has really made this team unique is that I'm not too surprised that, you know, a Commissioner Cup MVP, the, the All-Star MVP, the Finals MVP, the regular season MVP, they've all come from you know, essentially the you know different players because – this team, you know, plays in a style where, yeah, we don't care who scores the basketball. We don't care who gets the rebound. We just care that one of us does it and that we keep moving forward cohesively as one unit. Kelsey Plum, you, you spoke about her, and I think one thing that if you if you cover this team, uh, <laughs> we've, we've said since early in the year that Kelsey is probably the best soundbite to get from anybody on this group. Um how do I, I'm trying to make sure I, I, I layer this right. Kelsey has a nickname of Plum Dog, and she says she doesn't even know where it came from. She's happy. She likes it. She's happy it's stuck. Whatever the case may be, Kelsey, Kelsey alluded to it the last press, maybe the second to last press conference about uh, here in Vegas about being. Uh, feisty, right? And she said that she she admits that she's feisty sometimes, and she snaps at certain people certain times. And the funny thing is, I've always said this: you take it differently. I feel like when certain people snap at you, and Kelsey's just isn't Kelsey's has never struck me as a malicious type of snapping. So I say all of that to say, it felt really good. To see Kelsey Plum walking around with that JBL speaker. This is not an ad, by the way. Uh, but we know how loud those JBL speakers are. For Kelsey to have that on her shoulder, blaring wherever she went in the back, it was fun to see Kelsey let her hair done, for for lack of a better term. Uh, it was fun, to, for, of course, to see the entire team do it, but to understand what Kelsey has been through in her career. Uh, Sam Gordon talked about being an original from San Antonio days. Again, it was just unique to kind of see her. She, she she talks about not letting stuff bother her and things like that, but throughout the season we can, we can see through it in, in certain moments. Every, every wall was down. 
in that moment. And I think it was just that's just a site that I hope somebody goes back and just shows her like I don't know what happened if Kel what happens if Kelsey Plum plays free plays carefree basketball like the way she was after this championship. Yeah, I mean 100%. I think you know, the fun part of the spot that I'm in is that, you know, I get to kind of see a lot of these players flourish and um I mean, what always sticks out in my mind is what that player's gone through, right? Um, you know, when Kelsey won, uh, you know, all-star MVP, you know, I I kind of smiled because I understood what it took for Kelsey to get there. You know, I understood that she went through a pretty intense mental, you know, battle with herself um, that's now been, I think, pretty well documented um, through different um, pieces and articles that have come out. Um you know, that, you know, she came off of a very serious Achilles injury. Um, Achilles game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not sure that's that's one you want to be a part of necessarily if you don't got to. But, but I think the group is I think the group is lit. Oh, the group I is, think the group is fire. I mean, you got Kobe in that group. I'm in the group. No, <laughs> <Just play. laughs> no seriously. Like, when you look at Brianna Stewart, you look at Kobe, you look at Kelsey Plum, you look at Kevin Durant, you look at myself. I, no, I'm, I'm very, you look at Brian Salmon, but I know that it's a joke, right? That we're joking right now. But in all seriousness, there's a reason why I'm bringing that up. Like, I've always felt like, and I, I've always wanted to ask KD this, and subsequently I'll ask Kelsey this probably right before next season. But I've always felt like when Achilles tears happen, the people that I've learned to have them, it always comes from people that, right or wrong, they would like the final decision in a, in a situation they'll live with the final decision going back to the athletes that i just mentioned if you need a if you need a direct comparison the final shot they'll live with whatever comes of it they'll take it like so sometimes i feel like that achilles injury is meant to sit us down sometimes to take the control away from us sometimes and that's one thing that I've always just paid attention to with the quote-unquote hashtag Achilles game. But I've always felt like the people that have torn their Achilles in a weird way needed to sit down. And they're not the type of people to ever sit down. So the only way we will sit down is if you force us to. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. You got something. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I mean, pretty accurate with Kelsey. I mean, I think she was on uh, a pod with uh, Darren Waller, and she had talked about it a little bit that's like, yeah, you know, my mentality is I'm a goer. Like, I'm just go, go, go. So, I mean, tearing my Achilles was kind of the best thing that ever happened to me, to be quite honest with you, because it, it forced me to live a little bit of a different mindset, at least in the moment. Right. And so, I mean, no, going back to my original point, though, like, it's cool seeing a lot of these players have the bright moments, especially when you see the adversity that they came through, right? Um, I mean, Chelsea Gray, I've touched on her a little bit. You know, people kind of forget that Chelsea Gray was in a notable slump earlier this year. And that Commissioner Cup final um, MVP award was kind of the, I guess, sort of coming out moment for Chelsea Gray as far as kind of letting the public atmosphere in a little bit as far as, I've been in a slump, here's kind of why though. You want to know why? I said what I said about the snub situation. Look at, go back and watch the announcements of the finals MVP and the Commissioner Cups MVP. I promise you guys, you're going to think they're the opposite. The way Chelsea reacted after getting the Commissioner's Cup MVP, there was a, a genuine level of shock there. Yeah. By the finals rolled around, by the time the finals rolled around, Chelsea had reminded herself of who she was. 
I think she reminded the WNBA about it too. So, um, you know, I mean, seeing players flourish like that, like, you know, even some of the, you know, names that maybe don't get talked about as much on this team, right? Um, you know, the Raquana Williams of the world where, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like, you you try not to really root for individual players in the media if you can avoid it. Um, of course, you want to try and be as objective as possible and not, you know, play the quote-unquote favorites. Raquana Williams is easily probably one of my favorite players on this team and one of the most likable and rootable players um, root, or players to root for on this team. I was going to say root forable. There, I root, told you yeah. rules don't apply. To, matter of fact, I have candy in my pocket. Hell yeah. I don't even uh, eat candy uh, like that, but I, the rules don't apply today. You thought I was bullshit. Uh, almost cursed. Yeah, that's okay. Those rules kind of apply. Yeah, well, kind of. Kind of. Thank, thankfully, we're not on live radio. We'd be, we'd, oh, they, they would. They, they would have definitely applied. They would have came and grabbed me. They'd have been like, "No, let's go out." Uh, but in all serious, like you know, it's different. Like when you, because like I, in a weird way, I want to say like, I think Jiggy kind of feels the same way too. Like there's certain players that he looks at and he goes, "Hell yeah, that's a great shot." Like you know, there, there's certain players on the team where, I mean, all of them are great to work with. Not not taken away from anybody or anything because they're Except, all... Except... No, I'm just one. Man, you're trying to get me in trouble. Uh, no, I mean, they're all they're all great, right? Um, and really, I mean, they, it, feels, it feels like I was rooting for this team... I mean, one, because you know, obviously work for them, so you want, the, you want your, your workplace to do well. Like, you don't want to be part of something that's not. Um, but even more so... Um, I was rooting for Vegas, like looking at like the history and, you know, <laughs> Vegas sports has been through a lot of heartbreak. Like, I mean, that it's a thing like, I mean, the, the best analogy I can bring up is like, yeah, UNLV athletics, right? <laughs> you know, like oh, that's you, not the joke. We, I mean, it kind of is, you know? oh. but like at first that that was my reaction. It's like, oh, sorry, we'll get him next year. And then you just start you know, saying that was dead ass me my first year covering UNLV football. And then you just I told you somebody looked at me and was like, "Oh, no, it doesn't get better than this." Yeah, it's, it, I don't know, it might get better than that. We'll touch on them a little bit later. By the way, they, they they lied to me. Yeah, I know they did. But um, you know, you mentioned earlier in the show, you're like, so Pittsburgh was probably the last one. I was like, yeah. I mean, I I thought about it. UNLV basketball is usually out in the same area of the season every year. Football, yeah, not really much there. I mean, the Raiders made the playoffs last year, so that's okay, but they didn't really get over that hump. And Vegas, the Knights made it to the final, but yet, you know, kind of the same thing. They couldn't get over that hump. And so I'm going to have to give one random shout out because shout out to Don Sullivan and Dwayne Knight for bringing Las Vegas, I'll say us at this point, bringing us championships in between because Dwayne Knight prior to Don Sullivan's most recent national championship had brought UNOV his most recent national championship prior to that one, which was in 1998. Shout out to coach. Yeah. And I mean, you know, people all the time, they like in Vegas, they talk about, Oh, well, what about that night, the 1990 Re run rebel team. It's like, yeah, that's great. For one, I wasn't even alive at that point. So I, <laughs> do I remember that. I wasn't either. Yeah. And two is like, that's a college championship, which, I mean, I guess a championship's a championship, but I mean, this is the first for Vegas as far as the professional ranks is concerned. And you know, hell, you're the one that called it. You said, "No, the Aces are going to be the first ones." Uh, however long ago that was. So thank you for going ahead and giving me my credit because I was coming in here to do it anyway. Um, 
I said it for 2018. When the Aces missed the postseason by a half a game in a season where they forfeited a game that would have been canceled anyway. I said, I don't know what it's going to take for this team to get to that point. But all I know is everybody here in Las Vegas is talking about the Vegas Golden Knights. I wrote an article at the time and I said, hey, while you guys are paying attention to your beloved Vegas Golden Knights, your first professional title will be brought to you by a group of women that go by the tag of the Las Vegas Aces. Fast forward four years later, in Las Vegas, you have a parade tomorrow beginning at 530. It's awesome, bro. Like, I mean, I I think I even said it to you yesterday that, like, this is, I mean, obviously the first, right? Like, this is the first for myself, you know, kind of, I mean, kind of growing up, like, people, you know, kind of ask you, like, oh, where are you from? It's like, you tell them Vegas, and like, oh, yeah, they, they do. They ask you, oh, you stay in hotels? Like, they, yeah, that's they, kind of funny. They, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, oh, what hotel you stay at? Like, no, stay at a house. Like, come <laughs> on now. home. <laughs> yeah, and when the opponent comes in for the WNBA, they they playing at the house. So, uh, so I mean, it, it's one of those that, like, growing up here, like, I mean, up until a few years ago, like, we didn't have anything to really cheer for in the professional ranks. Like you could go three hours down the road and cheer for the Dodgers. If you wanted to, you could, you know, pick any of the LA teams. You want to go the other way. You could cheer for any of the Phoenix teams, but like Vegas never really had anything to call their own. And they never really were able to embrace anything that was their own because, you know, anytime they put in a bid for it, like it would always get shot down with, Oh, well y'all got the gambling in Vegas. Like we, we can't be doing that. Um, and so now, I mean, flash forward, we've got the Knights, which I mean, to their credit, they made a great historic running year one. Like that's nothing to shake a stick at. That's, that's nothing to shake a stick at. You know, that's definitely, um, you know, hard to do, um, considering they haven't been back since, but I'm sorry. I, I I was trying to be good today. I really was. But. It, it, I'm, nothing's getting me off of this emotional high that I'm on right now. Uh, and then we we, we kind of look at the Raiders and like, okay, like it's still early on in their year, so maybe. But you know, the Aces are kind of the ones that, um, you know, they're probably the most likable team in Vegas right now. I'll say that much, and I'll even put that above the Vegas Golden Knights. Um. You know, they're one of those teams that they're the most likable, yet they're probably one of the least talked about in the city for some reason. I I couldn't give you an answer in terms of why it is, but I absolutely agree with you. I do think that you are absolutely right in terms of that. Regardless of the fact, what I said four years ago does stand. And tomorrow at 5.30 p.m., I thought it was amazing that when it was the first it was first announced, it was announced that the parade will take place on the Strip at sundown. I tell you guys all the time, words mean things. And that's just a perfect way to encapsulate what we're going to see tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what to expect. I do know that... This media company thrives on being very, very truthful. Pardon. I don't know if they will have Matt working or not. They probably will. However, if you see anybody from this media company 
at this parade. Mind your business. Enjoying themselves. Mind your business. Matt, say it one more time. Mind your business. Okay. I just want to let y'all know. If y'all see us enjoying ourselves at all, we're just following Asia Wilson's rules. That's it. Come four shots in or don't come at all. Uh, Amen. Man, I mean... We got to move on from this topic, but I do want to touch on um, a Becky Hammond topic really quick. And actually, that, that, that'll that probably wrap it up for me. But Becky Hammond became the first player, first former WNBA player to, to win a title as a coach. There's also a couple of other firsts that she knocked home. Uh, she became the first coach to win a WNBA championship in her first season. In addition, speaking of first, as a player or a coach, in either league, the WNBA or the NBA, Becky Hammond has finally won her first professional ring. Uh, she said it's probably going to take about a week to soak in. I thought that was an amazing quote. I thought it was very, very powerful that she gave kudos to Bill Lambeer, who was in the building, who structured this team, who I- I've said it before, guys. I refuse to use the word retire. Until I saw Bill Lambeer myself earlier this year, and he said the word. Even then, Bill said it a handful of times. Bill didn't rule out coming back. Somebody asked Bill what I was getting ready to ask him, but somebody asked him flat out, well, so wait, 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 whoa. So you stepped away from coaching, but what is your role with this team? Bill never gave her a direct answer. But Bill did inform us that he is very... His phone rings. And if it's ever the Aces, he's going to answer. Bill Lambeer was in Connecticut, draped in Aces gear. He was was mentioned by Becky Hammond. She said she was the beneficiary of what Bill Lambeer was able to construct. And that's actually where I want to go to my mom's tip in. I didn't start the show with it today for a reason. But... um. My mom's tipping, I thought, and, and the funny thing is, I may have read this before, and I don't care. Uh, I like this one. Never give up, for that is just the place and time that the tide will turn. This is from Harriet Beecher Stowe. Once again, I'll read that. Never give up, for that is just the place and time that the tide will turn. Bill Lambeer was very open in the sense that once the team was eliminated last year, his style of coaching, his voice in the locker room wasn't going to get the job done. But he never fully took his finger off of the Las Vegas Aces. Yeah, he never did. Um, He's a big reason why, you know, the Aces kind of were where they were. And... Um, you know, having a big part in uh, drafting people like Asia Wilson, drafting people like Jackie Young, you know, um, bringing over Kelsey Plum from the San Antonio days, um, you know, different bits and pieces to this franchise you can look at and go, that doesn't happen without Bill. And I think this team needed to go through the first three or four years in Vegas to kind of first gain that experience and, and to um, 
you know, kind of go through a little bit of that adversity. And I mean, even this year, they kind of went through adversity with Becky, but a lot of it, um, you know, I think looking back on it now, I don't know if she would say it directly or indirectly, or she would even say it at all. I would wonder though, if Asia feels like she's got redemption from last year. Um, <laughs> regardless of what you see me indulging in tomorrow, it's not going to be a traditional story. I, I think parade stories are, they passed the Bellagio fountain where Asia popped the bottle. I, I just, I, what do you want me to say? So you're probably going to get a lot of social media hits. You're probably going to get a lot of social media. You're going to get us probably telling a story through social media uh, tomorrow. If I get a chance to pull Asia to the side, I have one question for her. And, and I've mentioned it here on this show. First round, you got to see the team that eliminated you or kept you from the WNBA Finals last year. Round two, you have to see the team that snatched a WBA championship from you in the in the Wubble. And then you get to Connecticut, as mentioned before, where Asia made her WNBA debut. I just wonder if she felt like, as you just mentioned before, there was a certain exorcism, if there was a certain exorcism along the way, if she had to exercise these demons along the way. But nevertheless, it did result in her first championship. Let's look at Asia Wilson's resume for a second. She's won at the high school level. She's won at the college level. She's won at the international level. Now she's won at the professional level. I I, I truthfully don't know what else you can add to that resume aside from just adding multiple numbers next to what she already has. I think she's pretty much done it all in this league already. At what, 26 years old? That's mm -hmm. in, in, I may be Asian, Asia. I don't even sure if she's 26 years old, but I do think it's going to be something to watch. Uh, one thing that Asia said, along with Kelsey Plum, I know that this team is full of excitement, full of uh, energy, full of confidence. One thing I do have to just call BS on, I have to just stop. Uh, yes, to begin the year, league officials or whoever, ESPN, whoever the hell it was, listed the Aces as, five, as fifth in the, in the power rankings. Yes, we get it. Kelsey said that everybody counted them out. Everybody counted them out. And that I'm going to begin to give her a little bit of pushback on. Part of the reason why the Aces were getting as much hate as they were was because of the Becky Hammond hire, was because of the four All-Stars, was because of the Defensive Player of the Year, and which everybody knew early into the year, which the most improved player – People knew kind of early as well. So the Aces were getting a lot of hate from that perspective. I don't think this team snuck up on anybody. I don't think this team will sneak up on anybody, sneak up on anybody next year. It does frighten me when I hear Kelsey and Asia say, this isn't the last. I don't think it is. Not the point. It's the fact that they said it. I'm very serious about this. I've seen it happen. I, I mentioned it last year. The WNBA, or not the WNBA Finals. Uh, I mentioned it uh, last year with the Super Bowl. I don't think that it's the last time that this team will be, the, be there either. I don't think this is the last time that they'll be having a parade either. But we watched the Super Bowl last year, and everybody watched Joe Burrow's performance and said, oh, he'll get back. Oh, he'll get back. Oh, he'll get back. Let's look at Joe Burrow's offensive line today. 
Joe Burrow ain't going no damn where until they fix that. How did Joe Burrow's first year go? Down the, down the crapper because he didn't have an offensive line. Some would say he made that Super Bowl run without an offensive line. Things happen in sports. I don't, again, we're here now, and I won't linger on it too much, but I asked you this before. What happens if they see Washington in the semifinals? What happens if they see Chicago in the finals? I don't know, but they didn't see them. You get my point? Next year in the postseason, if you see them, regardless of if you see these same teams that you saw this year, it's a new year. So I've seen certain situations where you look. I was pretty convinced that Sacramento was going to get a ring. Let's look at what they had with Mike Bibby, with Peja Stoyakovic. You look at what they would do during the regular season, and you would even look at the Lakers in times that they would slip, and you would go, well, they have something to get there. They never went. They couldn't even get there. I think it's a very dangerous thing. Now, granted, I know the champagne had been flowing, but I do want them to understand that once certain things are put out into the air, you can't put that back in the bottle. Random news, but it is some WNBA news, and I'm ready to flip the table. The Dallas Wings have dismissed Vicky Johnson as their head coach. That's disgusting. The same Dallas Wings that made the playoffs this year. That Dallas Wings. Who did you expect to get if you're Dallas? I don't know what you guys want from me. I don't know what to say. I have no words. Uh, wow. We were com- we were actually arguing what the top three would be in terms of coach of the year because we felt like Becky had it, but Vicky Johnson was also in our top three. Absolutely insane news. <laughs> Michelle Vopel broke that news about an hour ago. Tomorrow's parade begins inside or begins at Caesar's Palace, and it ends at the Bellagio Fountains. Uh, what are the chances that somebody hops into the Bellagio Fountains? Shit, Asia might pop into the Bellagio. It's either Asia or Sydney Costa. Yeah. Hell, Kirsten Bell might do it. That, those are the only three that I'm going. Nobody else is, is that crazy, I don't think. No. And hell, and to be honest with you, I think Kirsten going to be drippy. I think Kirsten going to be f- full of fashion, so I'm not hopping in here. Right. So I can see Sydney Colson jumping in. I can see Asia Wilson jumping in. Absolutely. <laughs> with with a double-fisted uh, champagne <laughs> in hand. You wonder the funny part, though? I've told you guys this before. It is expensive to get caught inside of that Bellagio fountain. Whoever jumps into the Bellagio fountain from the Las Vegas Aces team tomorrow will not be fined. I'm letting you guys know that right now. No. It's not going to happen. No. The, 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 I told you guys before, rules do not apply. We were supposed to talk about the Aces for 20 minutes. We are at minute 40 of this show. So, as I told you guys before, rules don't apply. We can leave right now if Matt wants to. I don't. I, typically, I truthfully don't care. Uh, but it's probably important that I give you guys some other Vegas news before we get out of here. We'll see what time we do get out of here today. But Sunday, I was watching the WNBA Finals, covering the WNBA Finals from an iPad, like I've had to do. And this is why I'm mad at Kathy Engelbert. <laughs> These last two Sunday games that I've had to cover the WNBA Finals, I've had to do so from an iPad at a football game. It's hell on earth. It's hell on earth. What, the football game? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. You know what? (laughs) That was a little. The football game itself wasn't hell on earth. You know how certain, and and again, I don't know how many uh, just different situations you've been in, but 
you know certain sports situations like they happen and it's almost like the uh the kick six Look at Auburn's sideline on, during the kick six. A lot of them watched it, and then they looked at the scoreboard, and then they looked at everybody reacting, and they grabbed their face like, what just happened? So in terms of this Raider game yesterday at Allegiant, it's home opener for the 2022 Raiders. When Hunter Renfro fumbled for the second time in overtime, I saw the ball pop out first. And when I saw it pop out, I, I said to the people around me, I said, the ball is out. Then I heard somebody else go, he fumbled it. And then the next thing I remember, fans were throwing things from the third deck. And I had one of those Auburn moments. I looked at the scoreboard. I looked at the field. I looked at my story that I had already halfway pre-wrote. And I said, what just happened? I'll tell you guys what happened. The Raiders were outscored 29-3 in the second half in overtime. They ended up dropping that home opener 29-23 to the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know where to start. Team throwing two. That's a good place to start. The team is 0-2 right now. They are the only AFC West team without a win. Uh, Josh McDaniel said after the game that this team has to learn how to win. This team has to, has to learn how to win. He also added that this team has to learn how to play with a lead. He said last week they learned a little bit how to play from behind. He said in this week they, they learned how to – or they're learning how to play with a lead. And – I talk about it all the time. Very rarely do you get out of a, a situation like this and you come away kind of feeling positive, still in a weird way. But that's what Josh McDaniels has been able to do. And I've said this before with all of my questions about Josh McDaniels. I still have them, especially in his first year. However, this is my first year, obviously, being around Josh McDaniels, right? And like I told Matt, I said I'm gonna sound like uh, I'm gonna sound like a um, I'm coming in here and and trying to look for please. But first day I met him in training camp, I came away with it and I walked out. I came back to the show and I told you guys I, I kind of like the guy. <laughs> and like regardless of all the questions I have, I get why every pardon I get why everybody wants them to coach wants him to coach their football team. I understand it now. What was it, 11 and 17 coming into his second head coaching gig? And now he starts off this year 0-2. The Raiders were up in this one 20 to nothing with six minutes to go in the third quarter. They were up 23-7 to with like eight minutes to go in the in, in regulation. Um trying to figure out how I want to do this game because I'm trying to it's, it, it literally was a game that was so over, all over the place. I'm going to get to Kyler Murray. I'm going to get to Derek Carr but let's probably start with this final drive because ultimately, no, no, no let's, go, let's go to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was held in check in that first half, plain and simple. He was held in check in the first half. The Raiders were pitching a shutout. Didn't look comfortable. I'm talking throwing errant passes. Threw a pick to Amik Robinson, Robertson that he shouldn't have thrown it. I just don't understand why he threw it. But he threw it. And it was an interception. And everything was going the Raiders' way. I mean, at halftime, Daniel Carson knocks home a 55-yarder. You're thinking to yourself, 
there's no way that, that anything can go wrong in this game. Shout out to Brian Shapiro from the Vegas Take. He did mention when the Raiders were up 23 to 7 to open that fourth quarter. He looked at me. He said, This game is far from over. I looked at him and said, Mm hmm. He looked at me once it was 23 23 and looked and said, I told you it was far from over. Now, whether you wanted to believe Brian Shapiro or not, it is exactly what happened. This Raider team completely folded in the in the overtime period. Um, <laughs> don't ask. Uh, that fourth down or that uh, overtime drive. As Derek Carr, I asked Derek Carr after the game, when the offense took the field, the offense had been off the field for nearly 30 minutes at that time. I asked Derek Carr if he, A, if he felt like he was getting cold, if he noticed that that they were on the sideline for that long, if it, if it really set in. Or, or actually, in the second part of that question was how much did that kind of trickle into the offense? He said without question he, he did get cold on the sideline. He said he warmed up a couple of times. He said he, he – that's what I thought was so interesting. He said he had to do it a couple of times. So he would go and warm up go back and sit down and then like he said before there's reviews on incomplete or complete passes there's reviews on two-point conversions and like he said so he's up and down trying to stay warm he said and whether it trickled into it or not he said he's not really sure because the team had a shot the team was driving downfield right before that final play that game changing play i believe it was eric seidenheimer from uh the la times who actually tweeted just send out the best kicker in the game and let's go home as he said that Hunter Renfro caught that pass in the flat. And I said, you know, you know, just the energy is weird. And in my mind, I'm just like, something's not right. Like something doesn't seem right. And somebody hit me up this morning and said, of course, Hunter Renfro fumbles and Foster Moreau recovers. The immediate next play after a timeout, Derek Carr throws behind Devontae Adams and is nearly picked off. Hunter Renfro fumbles for a second time in three plays. The very next play, Byron Murphy Jr. takes it all the way back to the house for a return, uh, for a scoop and score on the return. That's how we get the 23-29 to 29 final from Allegiant Stadium. When, when I spoke about Josh McDaniels, this has nothing to do with football, really, but this is me trying to just humanize him a little bit. Um... You have to know what type of what type of person you are in sports, right? And I am one of those people to where I'll play something back in my head repeatedly until I've come to grips with it. And I commend everybody. I haven't even told Matthew what I was talking about just yet, but I commend everybody, anybody rather, who can hit that switch, can hit that switch from work to excuse my french none of this shit matters and that's exactly what i watched post press conference with josh mcdaniels josh mcdaniels finishes his press conference and typically i watch him and and shout out to will kiss go to the right or will be their left but to our right and they'll go back into the locker room i thought i saw will go back there but i saw i, I didn't see josh necessarily I'm sitting in the back row. I'm getting my notes done. I look over to my left. Josh McDaniel's family was in the last row of the press conference, and it, it didn't register to me. So to see him get off of that podium, 
and go right into husband mode, right into father mode. As I said before, guys, it's a likable person that's leading the Raiders group. And I know that a lot of people may say, what does that have to do with football? What does that have to do with football? It doesn't. It has nothing to do with football. But me, knowing the way that I would be after that type of loss, tells you the type of man that's leading the Raiders. I think that's important to know. Damn. I was just about to unleash on Josh McDaniels. You can still unleash on him because it has everything to do with football. He answered every question. Anytime we questioned him about something, he had an answer for it. And it's just, once I'm off this podium, fam, none of this matters. Told you rules don't matter. Yes, I'm eating candy on the show. I mean, I look at yesterday and go, how does any Raider fan not have a problem with Josh McDaniels' play calling in the second half on offense? How in the world does Devontae Adams only touch the ball twice? Like, that's your money receiver. That's the guy you spent a lot of assets out there, a lot of money to go get. That's supposed to be the go-to guy when you need him the most. And you only got him the ball twice after getting him the ball in week one, I think, ten times? <laughs> he gets two receptions with, which, by the way, funny thing with Devontae Adams, this was the first time his grandmother saw him play football live. She never went to a game in Green Bay, said it was too cold. <laughs> I, I get it. Uh, too far, all that. Like She just wasn't going to go. So this was the first time she got to see Devontae play in the NFL live. He flew her out, got her the seats, all that. You get the poor man two receptions. Josh McDaniels, we just talked about you being a family man. I know it came up during the week that Devontae Adams' grandmother is going to be there in person for the first time in his career. I do know that it came up in the, in the post-game press conference, and Josh McDaniels was really, really commendable. Uh, why am I blanking on the word? He was. Um, it was commendable, rather, that he gave so much love to, pardon, the Arizona defense. He said that they're fast. He said that they're physical. He said that their defensive game plan – and watching the game, it, it, it kind of was was true because we watched Devontae Adams get through in that uh, Charger game in week one where Derek Carr missed him, flat out. Derek Carr just missed him. He didn't get those opportunities this game. So I, I to, to Josh McDaniel's point, they're not – or Arizona, rather, they didn't give Devontae Adams a chance to beat them. This is a conversation I didn't want to have after week one. But especially after week two, I feel like we have to have it. I've been at both of these uh, two games to start the year for the Raiders. I didn't want to say it during the offseason. I didn't want to say it after week one, and now I'm going to have to say it. Teams are absolutely going to force Hunter Renfro to beat them. I don't know if that's a bad option for the Raiders. Not that I think it is, but I just think it's Hunter Renfro. It's bad for Hunter Renfro uh, naysayers, if there are any out there. I know a lot of people in Las Vegas, especially Raider Nation as a whole, love Hunter Renfro, understanding that he is probably somebody that this franchise is going to see their na see his name at the top of for probably a long time, but didn't have a productive week one. We understand that there's a lot of plays that go into a game, especially that consists of, of, of overtime. But Hunter Renfro was on the wrong end of the final play of the game in week two. 
this isn't going to make any any teams in, ahead of the Raiders on their schedule look around at that receiving core and say, hmm, maybe we shouldn't let Hunter Renfro be the guy. I mean, I just circle back to the fact that, as you mentioned, with six minutes to go the Raider, or in the third quarter, the Raiders were up 20 to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It sure as hell felt like Josh McDaniels was coaching not to lose. And the second you turn that switch on, you're almost asking to lose at that point because the play calling got very conservative. It got very much like, let's just sit here, let's run the ball, let's try and milk the clock. I don't care that it's halfway through the third quarter and we still got a lot of football left to play. Uh, we're up three scores. Um, you know, life's good. Like, we'll probably win this game. And credit to Arizona. They made a lot of adjustments at halftime, and those adjustments were working. It felt like there was no adjustments being made at halftime for the Raiders, that they just looked up at the scoreboard and went, 20-0? All right, bet. We'll do that again. I don't want this to sound like an, an over-exaggeration. I really don't, but it's going to sound like what it sounds like. The two loudest time, or the two times that the Raiders, or that Allegiant Stadium got the loudest, and I don't think I'm over-exaggerating last night, was when the Aces title was announced in the building and when Byron Murphy Jr. crossed the goal line on that final play. <laughs> Devontae Adams caught a touchdown in there. Darren Waller caught a touchdown in there. As you said before, like, there did become a moment where, and, and again, if somebody wants to call BS on what I just said, the only other time that I'm accepting is somewhere on that first drive because I was in the building and I don't think it got it much louder after that. This includes Daniel Carlson's 55-yarder, who, by the way, has made 28 consecutive field goals. That's crazy. He still hasn't missed inside of Allegiant. That's crazy. It's a lot of distracting things inside of Allegiant. So to, to, not, to not necessarily... Uh, or to still not have missed one is something that I think we should marvel at. But they're next week they're headed back to the road. They're headed to Tennessee. This will be my first Raider game this year that I am not at. I'm not going to Tennessee. But um, no disrespect to Tennessee either because I want to go. I'm just not going this Sunday. They will take on the Tennessee Titans who after tonight they'll probably be 0-2 as well. You said the bit one of the loudest times was when the Aces Championship was announced. Yeah. My first thought was the Raiders heard the word championship and thought the building was talking about them. You know what's funny? <laughs> Part of me did wonder if everybody doesn't watch the NBA, right? I mean, the WNBA, right? Right. However, there are some football players. It's not even just W, not even the W, not even the NBA, whatever. There are some football players that do not care about basketball. Period. They couldn't couldn't care less. And vice versa about basketball players. I watched the Raiders sideline when that was getting announced. Oh, Darren Waller must have been going nuts. We've seen D Wall at a lot of those Facts. games. And I didn't I I didn't even see Darren. The office may have been on the field, but I looked down at the sideline. I'm not gonna say that this is everybody on the team, but I was expecting to see some sort of claps, some sort of something. But then I was like, oh, well, damn, they're in the middle of the game. I wonder how much you can – what's the balance? I don't think I saw anybody on that Raiders sideline cheer. 
and like you said before, we, we've seen them at the game, so we know what they support. So I just don't know, you know, I just don't know. But I, I, I mentioned what I just said right now in terms of the decibel level damn near in Allegiant because once the Raiders went up 20 to nothing, it does feel like the building and the sideline may have felt like the game was over. Well, we saw the video of the fan. Um, you may have saw it in, in real time, popping bottles. I didn't see it in real time. And I didn't see it after the story was done. I was at home, whatever the case may be. Popping I didn't see that. I mean, I thought I thought they You were, know I would have tweeted that. Man, I know. Look, I'm wondering. Now, they showed the fan, obviously, popping bottles a little <laughs> prematurely. <laughs> a I'm, little. I'm like, wait a second. He might be popping bottles because he saw the Aces won a championship. He's like, "Well, hell, if we ain't gonna win, like, I, I got to, I gotta pop these." Like, let's, there you go, Matt. You just gave him the ultimate alibi. There you go. That, if I was him, that's what I'd be saying. Be like, "Look, they just announced that we, Vegas won a championship. I don't care that it wasn't for the Raiders. It was something. It was something. I, I bought the prepackaged thing already with the champagne. I gotta pop the bottles before the game's over anyway. A popping bottle fan. First of all. <laughs> Just a notice to fans, when you pop bottles at games, I was going to say have a sweet, yeah. but even Patrick Mahomes' wife oh, showed after she, that particular game, yeah, people don't a sweet doesn't that. matter. Yeah, she don't like that. I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm to tell you guys this right now. If you are a fan at a game popping bottles, be well inside of your sweet. Yes. Or just don't do it. Yeah, don't be in the range of other strangers. I've you. seen it go left quickly. I've seen it go left in a couple of different stadiums too. Just yeah. don't do it. Just don't spilling anything. Just can go bad at a game. Just don't, don't do it. Yeah, just don't, don't do it. Or you can go ahead and do it and go viral for this reason as opposed to another reason. But I mean, you know, pick your poison, whatever. Red pill, blue pill. Yeah, I know for sure. But um, what you got? I mean, all I can say is. I'm glad Mark Davis made the right choice yesterday. As far as where he's going to be at, <laughs> can't imagine if Mark Davis picked the Raiders. He probably looked at the score. Well, he probably was following the game, and he's like, "Absolutely, he was following the game." He was like, "Oh no, I definitely made the right choice here." Okay, it was a preseason game. Shout out to Mark Davis. Mark Davis was sitting in his typical seat at the house, and Mark Davis had something set up next to the ESPN telecast. But Mark Davis had his little iPad next to him. I was like, "Fam, I get it. Yeah. I get it, bro. Mine's is over here too. I feel you." Like, first of all, Mark Davis is probably one of the – I'm really happy he's Las Vegas' owner is what I'll say. Shout out to Mark Davis. Yeah. Mark Davis is I, – I guess I don't know him personally enough to say he's a good guy, but Mark Davis, I tell you all guys all the time when I'm around him, strikes me as a pretty cool guy. But whatever. I could be wrong. Uh, I could be. No, I, don't think you, <laughs> um, I don't think you are at all. Whatever. He probably looked at that and he was like – Again, I, ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. I don't care that we imploded at Allegiant. I, I don't care. Don't care right now. Care right now. Not, I'll, I'll deal with that on Tuesday. Like, I don't leave me alone. I'm not dealing with it Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not <laughs> dealing with it then. I deal with it shortly. I deal with it yeah. when I deal with it. Yeah. Uh, but before we get out of here, before we uh, leave this first hour of conversation, which technically we kind of already did, um, let's discuss this. Let's discuss this. I can find it. Let's discuss this tip in for my dad. If I can find it. Here it is. Because we're on the NFL. We're wrapping up week two. Week two wraps up tonight with two games. We got Tennessee at Buffalo and then Minnesota at Philly. Who you got in both of them? 
Buffalo and Philly. Sorry. I think I got the same thing. Damn it. Did I pick Minnesota in the group? Figure it out, please. I'm going to look right now. I got to stop doing it. I got to stop doing that. Feeling like I'm absolutely sure about a pick and I'm wrong. Pardon. But my dad had a tip, uh, a tip in rather, about another game that was played yesterday. Buffalo, Philly. I pick Buffalo, Philly? Yeah, nice. All right. I'm glad I took Tampa, by the way, at the last second. When I yeah, I, good job. When I saw the thing about Jameis, I was like, uh-oh, this ain't good. I'm not going to laugh because being injured is no joke. Hey, he told us about his body. He told the media about it. When he said he was dealing with four fractures, in my mind, I was like, he told us about it. He, he went. He, he went in depth. He went. What well, was in the backs? I don't know what he classifies that as. See, he, he, said told, in the, he said in the back. Yeah. See, and that's why, because that was my initial response when I saw the 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 note that said Jameis Winston dealing with uh, four fracture or playing with four fractures. As I said before, my first thing that goes to my head is, well, where are those fractures at? And because Jameis Winston is Jameis Winston. His most recent video plays in my head, and I was like, well, what about the wrists? Nope. What about the ankles? I was like, so, Jameis, get well soon, is all I'm going to say. But, in hindsight, Jameis isn't talked about enough for being a dog. I say it all the time. Jameis isn't talked about enough for being a dog. Do he, Does he need to correct 30 interceptions in a year? Yes. Can you teach 30 interceptions in 5,000 five, in 5, yards in a season? No. I think you can teach him how to how to how to not turn the ball over as much. Even being in New Orleans, being around Drew Brees, you watch him with his check down. Drew Brees told him early in, when he was around him, you can check down. Like you're gonna get your chances to make those big plays. You're the quarterback. You're always gonna have the ball in your hand. You don't gotta do it in the first quarter. You don't gotta do it now. My dad's tipping is actually about this game. You know where we're going. Today's tip in was inspired by. First of all, that sounds like an ad. Don't write that to me ever again. I don't, I don't, don't, don't do that. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm too silly to do live reads. I think that's what it is. I'm too silly to do live reads. That's why I don't know how I was able to do it at Westgate. But today's tip in was inspired by a series of plays in the Tampa Bay New Orleans game. The GOAT Tom Brady was arguing a non call on a play that very easily could have been called defensive pass interference, but it wasn't. On his way down to talk to the referee, or should I say holler at the referee, <laughs> he was distracted by something said by New Orleans Saint cornerback Marshawn Lattimore. Brady, as we should know, will not shy away from any defender. He headed towards he headed, excuse me, toward Lattimore. And from watching his lips, the first thing Brady said was a two-word term. That's not very nice. Leonard Fournette was the closest buck to interact with Lattimore, but Mike Evans was probably the biggest interaction in that situation. And he later was ejected for his actions. But on his way off the field, he was looking back. Oh, excuse me. But on his way off the field, was looking back and saw the interaction, sprinted back onto the field, and roughly shoved Lattimore to the ground, which started to pile up an eventual brawl. My point is this. As I continue to watch the NFL Red Zone, I continue to see the buck highlights from that game, and the majority were on the defensive side of the ball. A pick, a third down stop, another pick, and eventually a 20 to 10 buck for the uh, buck victory, excuse me. When I believe the score was 3 to 3 when a brawl originally occurred. Point is, the team rallied around their leader, protected, fought for, and won for their guy. Perfect example how in life 
or excuse me, how in life as well as in sports, we have to defend our teammates. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. We have to defend our teammates as we saw in that game. That energy was what the Bucks needed to get that win. And something inside of me tells me the GOAT knew that. This is why he has seven rings, more than any other NFL franchise. It's not about it's not just about the X's and O's. It's about knowing what to do and when to do it. Dad, first of all, um, I'm probably going to stop saying this at some point, but this is why we say all the time, like, people always think that our jobs are cool and things like that, right? And not to say that our jobs aren't cool by no means, but uh, it's still work, right? It's still work, and you still got to type a story at the end of the day. A lot of people just get to watch a, watch a game and go on about their day at the end of it. We still have to find 800 to 1,000 words to encapsulate what the hell we just saw. And typically the hardest part sometimes of that is the beginning because you have to take whatever just happened and summarize it into probably two paragraphs and then get to a quote to where I already know what happened by the first three paragraphs of your story. Dad, you just did that in the tip end. 3-3, this fight happens. Brady's at the center of it. The team wins for Brady. Ta-da. That's exactly what happened. I, I'm, I'm not really sure if you've seen this already or not, Dad, but there's a video going viral where after uh, Mike Evans was tossed out of the game, he's seen without his helmet on looking at the referee, and you can read his lips, and he says, that's Tom Brady. What you want me to do? Get ejected for him. That's what I want you to do. So that's what you did, and that's what we expect from anybody who's on the team with Tom Brady. The wild part is Brady probably wouldn't get ejected, but I think the reason why these guys are so quick to do that for Tom is because they know Tom is going to be the first one to do it for them. Uh, speaking of going to bat for your guys, Matt, you've been saying that UNLV may be able to sniff out seven wins. I still don't know if I see seven, but I know for a fact I didn't see this second one coming at this point. They got past North Texas. Not only did they get past North Texas, they beat the hell out of North Texas. They beat North Texas 58-27. to 27. They scored 28 unanswered points, kind of the opposite of the Raiders. See how that works. Um, but more than that, they did it on almost every – or excuse me, in almost every aspect of the game. This team is turning heads. And they just getting started. Mountain West play is coming, so I don't know. You called it. Talk about it. I mean, is it bad to say that I look at 58-27 and go, you know, they could have scored some more. This team is insane right now. I mean, look at the the first half. They went to the half, what, 30? What was the fat time score? I think they. I think UNLV was up 23-20. 20, 23-20, 20, 20. 20, 20, okay. Um in that first half, they could have easily put 30 on the board if they wanted. But, I mean, we saw in some of those cases with the offense, they it wasn't North Texas stopping the offense. It was UNLV's offense stopping UNLV's offense. Through, I mean, one drive they had, I think it may have been in this sequence, a hold, a sack, and a hold. Back to back to back. That ultimately killed the drive. And... I mean, outside of that 
and it happened a couple drives. So that's why I say they could have scored more if they wanted to. Um, I would say right now my biggest area of concern for UNLV is their run defense. Their run defense is a little suspect, I would say. Um, North Texas was able to run four or five run plays in a row with great success. I mean, it ultimately moved them down the field and got them as many points as it did. Um, I mean, it got to a certain point. It's just like, if you're the defensive coordinator, you kind of know what's coming next. They've ran the ball the last three times, ironically enough, to the same guy in the same direction. You know, handoff going to the left. Like, at cer- at a certain point, you have to be able to pick up, pick up on that as a DC and be able to adjust to it. Now, the uh, the the pass defense has been pretty good for UNLV. They've been able to limit a lot of the big plays in the passing game. They've been able to contain a lot. Uh, their secondary really hasn't gotten torched, per se. Um, it's been kind of, they've held a lot of receivers in check. And I, I think if the biggest thing that they can do right now is they can if they tighten up that run defense even a little bit, if they can make it for where they're not allowing five yards of carry, but maybe three and a half yards of carry, three yards of carry, then... I, I think we'll we'll truly have that full package because we know what this team is capable of on offense. We know that they can make it happen through the air just as much as they can happen make it happen on the ground. Um, sometimes Doug probably does it a little too much, happen, making it happen on the ground to where it may make UNLV fans a little squeamish to watch. Doug needs to be careful. Yeah, he he's insane. Like, I, I, I don't know how many other ways to say it. Doug needs to be very, very careful. Doug is... He had a couple times on Saturday. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like, what Doug needs doing? to be careful. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm big on words and words mean stuff. Be careful, dog. Be careful. Yeah, please. Because as I said before, the way that he flipped into that end zone oh on the second... Oh, my God. I thought uh, that was it. I was like, uh-oh. It, it didn't look good. Um, when he, The way he flipped into the end zone on that second one, like, first of all, he got flipped into the end zone, number one. Second of all, there was another player that came through and hit him in the back as he was mid-flip. Yeah. Doug landed directly on the point of his head and grabbed his neck kind of immediately. Doug was hurt. At Arizona State in week two last year, behind flipping into the end zone. Doug need to be careful. You know what? I'm trying to think of which quarterback uh or which uh coach said that in the league. It was last season. It was Josh Allen, I think. Last season, um, Josh Allen was scrambling some play, and Sean McDermott, when he came to the sideline, Sean McDermott told him, like, you know what I mean? Like, I love you. That was great. Whatever the case may be. But he kind of told him, like, don't make me have to tell you to slide again. Like, because if you go out of this game, I'm we're going to have other issues because you're not listening. Like, it's something different. Like, so, again, Doug needs to be careful. And I hope, I hope Marcus Arroyo told him at that point of the game, there's absolutely no reason to lower your shoulder. And I know that Marcus Aurelio wants the toughness and everything else. You don't want your quarterback doing that. I don't know. And if and if Marcus Aurelio was still down for it after what happened last year, he's a better man than me. Uh, nevertheless, don't look now, but this UNLV team is first in the Mountain West West. 
They're two and one. UNR is two and two. San Jose State is one and one, and both Fresno State and San Diego State are both one and two. And they got the Mountain West Player of the Week. I don't make the rules, guys. Shout out to Aiden Robbins as well. Uh, Utah State is next on, on on the schedule, like Matt just said. On Saturday, 4 p.m., they will be taking on the reigning Mountain West champs. I don't know, man. I don't know if I had them winning this game. I do have them beating New Mexico. I have them beating San Jose State. I have them beating Air Force. I have them beating Hawaii and UNR. So what is that? That would be four more wins. That would be the six, right? No, that's five more wins. That would be seven. If they get Air Force, like I believe, that would be seven. I think we're both at seven, just to different teams, though. Right. I think you think that they will beat Utah State yep. and lose to Air Force. Yeah. For whatever it's worth, I, I mentioned it before, I, I'm cool with being wrong in certain moments. I have no problem with it. But I said Wyoming was really going to be bad at football this year. I think I even said that. Like, they were just really – there were no point to even talk about them because of how badly they lost to Illinois, 38-6 to in week zero. Um – Wyoming has won three straight games, including a 17 to 14 win over Air Force. So I'm probably wrong about one thing and then right about the other. So I'm going to ask you, which one do you want to give me praise for being right about? You ready? Either Wyoming is really bad. And that means Air Force isn't as good as we thought. Or I was really, really wrong about Wyoming. I would say you're probably wrong about Wyoming. Good God. The, go back and watch that Week Zero game. God, that was horrific. I didn't think that. I thought they would win like two games. Go back and watch that they've opening won, they've game. They won more than two right now. Go, my, my point. Go back and watch that opening game. Which means they're better than what you thought. That's not the same team that I watched against <laughs> Illinois. Hell no, it's not. I watched that game. No way. Whatever. We'll see. We'll see what happens. No way. UNLV is lucky that they don't have Wyoming on the schedule. That's what I, that's what I'm gonna say. Because right now Wyoming is on top of the Mountain West Mountain. In case anybody cares, um, any other college football news that you want to get to uh, get to really quick? Why are you talking to me, ESPN? Hey man, watch this team make a bowl game. We're gonna have to figure, we're gonna have to figure that out. By the way, if they go to a bowl, depending on where they go. Not to sound like that, guys, but. You guys know how this media company runs. This media company is an up and it's an, it's an up it's an uh, up and coming media company, and we, we're making the trips where we can. Obviously, LA is a trip that we we make pretty pretty frequently. Arizona is a trip that we try to make pretty frequently. Matt and I talked about games in Seattle, things like that by coastal, right? We're, we're we're talking about coastal, but depending on what happens in this college football season certain certain accommodations need to be made you know you only get one bowl game so we'll see we'll shoot see i almost pulled up to connecticut yesterday you know yeah, i'll think about it you know what the only thing that stopped me from going to connecticut to be in, in, all, in all honesty the fact that it was up in the air yeah. they were going out there for two if there was if it was a game five or something i probably would have figured it out yeah i thought about it i was like mm. after as i thought about it a lot after game three i was like hmm well, of course, after game mm, after game three, I was like, I, I just gotta hope for them to bring it back because I'm I, I'm not obviously gonna. You only get 17 of these NFL games, so you gotta you gotta try to pick and choose your your moments where you're gonna miss. And I already know that there's gonna be some away games that I miss for the Raiders, so you want to try to get every opportunity to see them in person. Doesn't matter. The Aces got the job done. Uh, another Las Vegas team that 
isn't necessarily getting the job done this year, but a, a team that, again, like I said, they've they've given me some things to be proud about in recent memory, but this past week wasn't necessarily one of them. Uh, just odd week. Where's my notes? Just odd week. Where are we at? Cool. So I mentioned how this team would have Sacramento and Tacoma in between uh, the Reno series, both Reno series. Um, I, I mentioned that they had the best record this season against Sacramento. And then I think the second best record that they've had against uh, against any team was against Tacoma. So these are the two teams that you want to see on the schedule when you need some wins. You don't need to drop four of six to Tacoma. And that's exactly what happened this most recent outing. Uh, I came in here on Thursday and I told you guys that the Aviators had lost, what was it, three straight? Pardon. Had lost three straight uh, one-run games. And if you include all of September, they had lost six one-run games. All of their losses in September had be, had come from one loss uh, or in one-loss situations. They get a win on Friday, but I want to fast forward really quick to Saturday, only because they lost Saturday twelve to seven, or excuse me, twelve to eleven, which meant that that was seven straight. That would have been a seventh straight one-run loss for the Aviators. That would mean that as of the seventeenth, before the eighteenth, every loss in September was by a run. So you're more than halfway through the seed, through the through the month, and at that point you're six and seven in a month. Seven one-run losses. How do you follow that up? Do you get even on that Sunday? You don't. You give up 10-plus runs for the 33rd time this season. Las Vegas was beat by double digits. For the seventh time, they ended up dropping that series finale 19-9. to It's probably important to also let you guys know that um, a Shea Langelier poster was given away on that day. And it just, it just, I'm just here to to bring that up and to mention. Go look at the Oakland Athletics lineup for today. I don't even know if they play today. I'm gonna figure it out in a second. Go figure it out. Go look at their last lineup for the last game that they played. Anybody who has been successful with the Aviators over the last year plus is at the major league level right now. And pretty much what Matt said a couple of weeks ago continues to hold true this team is literally checking the date on all of their vegetable cans in the cupboard that's it just preparing for cleaning got to know who to sell on got to know who to buy on just these are the things that this franchise is going through matt gave them i think a five-year window i said oakland's pretty much always competitive i give them about two or three you're already through one. I don't know, man. Nevertheless, this aviator team. Oh. I have a random fun fact for you. Remember I talked about that E, that E number, which is obviously his elimination number, but I just Googled it and was like, what let me see exactly what it means. It does mean exactly that elimination number. It's also called the tragic number. I like it. 
I'm here for it. First place team gets the magic number. Everybody else behind them gets the tragic number. The tragic number for Las Vegas as of right now is two. Bad news is the Reno Aces are in the building tomorrow. Well, that two could come as soon as Wednesday. Tomorrow. They don't do half games under tragic numbers, I don't believe. So if Reno wins any game during this series, season over. I thought you said it was two. It is. But it's a combination of the team ahead of you losing or winning and you losing. Oh, You're playing the first place team. So if you lose one, you drop one. And if they win subsequently, they gain one. That's both of your points. The Aces have to sweep Reno to still have a chance. You know what I just realized? What? The Aviators could be eliminated from postseason contention the same day the Aces are celebrating a postseason victory. I didn't even think about that. I do know that the A or the Aviators have the possibility of being eliminated on the same field where the Triple A championship will be celebrated. That's gotta hurt more than anything. Cause they're gonna probably be mathematically eliminated sometime during this series. And then on the thirtieth, they will have to watch the PCL title be competed for on their home field. And then two days from then, they will have to watch the AAA championship game be played from the Las Vegas ballpark, which, of course, you guys can all be a part of. Um, this is the first series loss against Tacoma all season long. Prior to this series, they were 12-6 and six against the Rainiers. As I mentioned before, they are headed – or not headed anywhere, but they are headed into a series against the Reno Aces. That begins tomorrow from the Las Vegas ballpark, 7.05 p.m., as mentioned before, I will be there this series um, because of the Aces win. I will be there beginning on Wednesday. So I guess I can't go too hard at the parade. I got to pull out my phone probably right when they get to the Bellagio Founds and start paying attention to this Aviator game. But who knows, man? Like I said before, they're nine games behind. They have nine games left. Here's the thing. I asked you earlier, what happens if Reno ends up, you know what I mean, going on the bad stretch, whatever the case may be. This, what if the bad stretch is now? What if the Aviators beat them six straight games? That's already that's already a feat. But I talked about that before. Though. What if they we need them to lose eight straight games, right? Whatever the case may be. And you was like, good luck. Now, this is a situation where luck is in your hand. You can take care of six of those nine. And then look at another team and go, well, I hope you guys can take care of it. I am interested to know who Reno closes their series or closes their season against because I'll let you know if, if, if they'll win it or not. The Las Vegas Aviators have no shot. Thank you. That was a long-winded answer to long-winded way to get to that answer. I had to click on the schedule just to see. I didn't even think you had to do that. <laughs> Even if the Aviators sweep the Reno Aces, Reno has three games at home against the Tacoma Rainiers, who are third place in the division, I believe. Third place. Again. Their tragic number is one. Yeah. You told me that Reno just needs to get one. Just one. To, well, they really need to get one to... Period. At this point. <laughs> to clinch. Yeah, they just need one to clinch. Yeah. Because of who they're playing. You told me... I guess if you gave me that type of, you know, 
prop bet, if you will, that does Reno get at least one of the six against Vegas? That's don't even think about that. Okay, fine. Yes. If you're not gonna think about that, do they get <laughs> do they get one against Vegas in one of the first three? Yes. Do they get one against Vegas tomorrow? Yes. Season over. Another season that's over and it's been over for a long time is the Oakland Athletics season. I mean, keep in mind, guys, that's the big league team of the Aviators that we're talking about. The Aviators finish or they're finishing kind of slow. You would think that the big league team is probably finishing strong on the back end of it. It's not exactly the case. They did just drop three of four against the Houston Astros. I was wrong. I said they were going to split. Didn't work. Told you. They ended up losing. Sorry. They ended up losing. I'm just hoping they get to 100 <laughs> losses at this point so I can say I was right. Wait, where are we at? And I didn't give you guys the update on the, on the Aviators record. I apologize. They're 69 and 72, if you guys care. You said you want them to get to what? 100. I'm not going to play this game with you, dog. Anyway, uh, the, the Athletics, they, they just lost four of six during their Texas trip. They had two against the Texas Rangers, and then they had their four against the Houston Astros. This team, is again, is just continuing to uh, trend in their own direction. And I feel like I've kind of talked myself until I'm blue in the face at this point because I continue to just mention, oh, it's turnover, oh, it's constant turnover, oh, it's constant turnover. Well, nevertheless, this this team hasn't – had too many bright spots even with so much of the turnover on this roster again i haven't even figured it out but maybe by the end of the year i can figure it out i would love to know if whatever the number of transactions are that the las vegas uh or excuse me at the oakland uh, athletics baseball team has gone through this year i wonder if it's if it's not a record i wonder how close it is to the record but as of right now, this team is 53-94 and 94 on the year. They are last in the AOS. Six games off of 100 losses on the year. The Washington Nationals are 51-95, and 95, while the Pittsburgh Pirates are 55-92. and 92. I don't think they're catching Pittsburgh. So I think it's a two, and I don't. I don't know if it's a race for last, so like, I don't know what to, what to call it. But it's a two-man show for the worst record in the league. And I think it's either going to be the Oakland Athletics or the Washington Nationals. It can't be Oakland. Which is why it's going to be Oakland. You know what? If it is Oakland, God forbid, if it is Oakland, this turnaround absolutely happens in three years or less. I'm not talking about a turnaround to go to the World Series. A turnaround for this team to be competitive in the wild card again, it has to happen in less than three years if this team ends up with the worst record in baseball. There's no way in hell. I, I think that actually is a little counterproductive for them right now. I think that as weird as this season has been, if they're the second worst team, I think there's a little something to hold on to. If you're the worst team, Strip the strip strip the uh the cupboard bare. Just I wanna I wanna strip it all. I don't know that this team can afford to strip it all. It's already stripped down to the nuts and bolts. I don't know what any more stripping of this franchise looks like. Maybe a relocation. 
I don't know, man. Well, one thing I do know, uh, they're returning home where they're 23 and 48 on the year. Not necessarily a good mark, but they are returning for a six-game homestand. Three against the Seattle Mariners and three against my New York Mets. I mean, the New York Mets. Uh, I don't know, man. I thought you were about Can't, to say the LA Angels. Why would I say that? Well, you said my. I was like, oh, he's going to say the Angels. Why would I say that? Okay. I, I was making sure. I have no <laughs> idea what you're trying to get to, but I don't think it's funny. Um, Can we switch that Mets bet, too? Like, if they don't win a division, can I hop on? The, can I hop on the bandwagon then? Like honestly, this NL East is probably going to be one of the better, if not the best, division to watch on the way down. I know a lot of people are paying attention to AL East because the AL East is the AL East, but this this NL East situation is going to be kind of amazing. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you got anything else? I'm good. You sure? I'm been good. Yeah. All right, man. So as I said before, if you guys see me tomorrow. And I have a champagne. I have champagne in my hand, or I have ice in my cup, or whatever the case may be. Matt, tell them what to do again. Mind your business. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>